We all have one, a podcast that isn't afraid to discuss the stories that we all have, even the really messy ones. From business ideas to overbearing in-laws to dreams of leaving your crappy job, come along for epic stories along tangible advice for succeeding and surviving through life's unfiltered moments. I'm your host, Corey McFadden, recovering business owner, industry pioneer, and mama blogger who has seen it all along the way. And let's just say, I am not afraid to share what I've learned from my experiences and mistakes, which means you don't have to. All you got to do is listen, grab a coffee or hell, a tequila is probably better. And let's get to this week's saga turned life lesson. Welcome episode three. I'm your host, Corey McFadden. And today we are tackling a very important topic and one that's often not thought through when starting your business. And those are your friends and family and the role that they should or will play in your business. So we're just going to get right into it because there's a lot to this. And well, when it comes to friends and family, you know, I think a lot of times we can have the attitude of like, well, of course they're going to be there and yeah, they're going to support us. And why wouldn't they be my client? Well, the truth is that they're not going to be. While yes, your family is your family, but your friends, well, we know how that goes. They come and they go. And when a business enters the picture, a lot of times friends will go. And that's just natural. And you need to be prepared for that. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be like the great shakeout and suddenly you start a business and all your friends are like, peace out, I got to go. No, what I'm saying is that when something new enters like this, it's a new element that has to be explored. And a lot of times people aren't down for the ride or the struggle, or maybe jealousy will come about. There's different things. And I think that anyone that's in business probably has a story to share about a friendship that has been strained due to the business. And a lot of times this could be alleviated. And you can protect these friendships rather than bringing your friends into the equation of your actual business. And this is where I'm talking about hiring friends. And it's a mistake that almost everyone makes at some point. And I'm not saying that you cannot work with your friends and you can never hire a friend, but I am saying that it's extremely risky, dangerous, And there's about a 90% chance that it will end the friendship in some form or fashion. So let's talk about hiring friends and family. Family is a little different because a lot of times you go into business with family and I understand that, or you're in a family business that's generational and it kind of is passed down and you work together. And that is different. I'm talking about When you are starting something on your own and bringing in friends and family and you are the boss suddenly and what that can do to a relationship and thinking that through before you make that step, because when you're in business, it's important to protect what is sacred to you and your friends and family and those relationships most likely are. And you're going to need a support system. So if you have the ability to alleviate strain there, 
why inflict it. So think before you make the decision to hire friends. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through some steps that if you have decided to work together that are extremely important that are implemented from the onset, because if they're not, I can guarantee you a disaster. And from personal experience, have I hired friends? Yes. Did it end well? No. Have I hired family? Yes. Did it end well? It ended better. I learned some lessons. So I will also share my own personal experience and where I messed up in those hires. So let's just get into it. I hope you find this extremely valuable. And uh, yeah, trust me, you want to listen here from experience. So first up is that if you've made the decision to hire a friend and you're like, no, we can work together. This is great. I know I'm confident in her doing the job or him, whoever. Got it. Cool. You've made the decision. Here's what you need to do next. So when you've hired a friend, you need to set expectations from day one. Otherwise, the boundaries are going to be blurred, lines are going to be crossed, and it's going to be a shit show. And so if you're like, what do you mean expectations? Well, expectations are basically if you were to be in their position What would you need and want to know? That's a really great place to put yourself as you are starting to do these things. Because if you're thinking of it just from your role, it can be very one-sided. But when you put yourself in their position, suddenly you can come up and think of things that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. And so the first thing is the job scope. And this is going to be when you hire anybody. And I will do an episode on hiring and we'll do a deep dive there because I know that can be intimidating and that is a whole nother process. But when you do make any sort of hire or bring someone in, whether it be in a contracted position, a short period of time, or even a day of an eight hour workday to help you, you always want to have a job scope for them. And while yes, if it's just a short term position versus a long term position, More time will go into developing this job scope, but the person needs to know what they're doing and what is expected of them and what is the scope of that role. So if that includes clerical input, answering the phone, as well as light housekeeping and closing duties, that's what you would include so they know what they're supposed to be doing, as well as proper training. Because a lot of times what happens is you'll just bring someone in and you'll be like, oh, I'm really busy. I just need you to like follow along and just catch up. Well, that's the worst. You have to invest time in training the person. Otherwise you aren't ready to hire them. Because if you don't invest the time in training, they're not going to do it right. It's going to take them a long time to catch up and they're going to start building resentment because they're frustrated. And so if you just take the time from the onset to really give them the time, train them, provide them with a job scope and expectations of what is expected, you will meet each other at the right place. 
because what you don't want is someone feeling like they're drowning or they don't know what the fuck is going on. That's the worst place to have somebody. And so a lot of times we overlook this because they're friends or family when no, they need to be treated the same way that anyone else would and the same respect as any new hire would have. Now, while I know it's hard when it comes to managing the person, this is going to be the biggest struggle. And so if you have the ability and you have a larger team, from the onset, have someone else manage them. They report to someone else. If they're sick, they report to their manager. They're not reporting to you. So you start to create that divide and that really strong line of separation. Because what happens is that you will start to show favoritism and make exceptions if they are reporting to you. And if you have other employees, that can kill your work culture in a second. Because if that other employee is doing the same job as that person and they don't get special exceptions made, Would that not be so frustrating if you were them? And so what you want to do is you want to set everyone up for success. And so if you have the ability to have someone else manage them, that is the best thing that you can do. Now, while I know that can be impossible with smaller businesses just due to the team size, and that's okay. So then it's even more important that you lay the ground rules from day one. And the way to do this and especially do it right is with an employee handbook. And so everything is outlined from reporting if you're going to be ill, if you want to request time off, all the processes in place, all of these things that you essentially need to put into place before bringing someone else on your team. So during the onboarding process, it's the same for everyone. I personally hired a friend as my first hire, and it wasn't a total disaster, but it was pretty bad because what was happening is he had a lot of drama in his life at that time, and I was letting it enter my workplace, and it was distracting from our day because at that time, it was just the two of us working side by side. So while it wasn't impacting other employees, it was impacting our overall productivity because he would need to leave and go tend to something or he'd be tending to crazy phone calls. It was kind of just ongoing and a domino effect. And by me allowing it, by normal kind of friendship conversation, it then started to take over and interfere. And so I can say we are friends today, but our friendship was definitely strained for a while after that, and it just wasn't the right hire for me. And that's a lot of times what happens. And so you need to be extremely aware of how you're using your time, if it is just you and that friend working alongside, or if you have a team, how that could possibly be interfering. Because Creating a work dynamic and culture that is upbeat and happy is really difficult to maintain. I'm not saying it's difficult to create and implement, 
I'm saying is difficult to maintain over time. And so when you're able to minimize things that would interfere, of course, it's going to be easier. And this is one of the main interferences is when someone feels like someone else is being favored, special exceptions are being made, or they're bringing in some of their personal drama that's interfering in the workplace and it's being tolerated. And so you have to be keenly aware of those things if you are managing that person. And so another really great way to make things fair and another thing you should implement um, if you are able is to have metrics in place with positions to help rate the performance. Because when there's metrics in place, then everyone is on the same scale, making it impossible to treat someone and show favoritism. And so this could be by a productivity metric on how much is produced within a certain period of time or outputted. There's different metrics that you can create and they'll be different for the positions that people are holding, but that's a really good way to keep it fair on paper and then no questions are asked in the sense of, oh, that person's being favored. It's like, no, this is the way the metrics fall. So this is the way that this is going to go. And so metrics are always your friend in employment. I'm a big believer of that. What can also be difficult when you're managing your friends is being in that authority position. And it's one that you have to realize that it's different than being friends. And so from the onset, you both need to be in agreement that this is this working relationship, this is our friendship. Because if you're not able to act from a position of a strong leader and you're second-guessing yourself because they're your friend, that will be detrimental from you. You always need to be able to make those decisions from the leader stance. And when friends are interfering or you've become too friendly with your staff and you've blurred those lines, it makes it so, so hard. And so it's also important to know that, yes, you absolutely can be friends with your staff. I mean, one of my best friends is, you know, she worked for me for over 10 years. I love her dearly, but, you know, we weren't always friends. She worked for me for a very long time and I always treated her the same as everyone else. Well, yes, outside of work, I would help her with things occasionally and we were friendly and that was great. But at work, I never blurred that line. And so this also becomes a battle and you'll see when you're managing a staff and you have subordinates that are hanging out with their managers outside of work and suddenly lines get blurred. Those are the things that kill your work culture and the overall dynamic. And so you want to be very, very aware of those relationships, keeping it fair and clean, and making everyone feel valued and as though they're there for the same mission and the same task and not like, oh, this person always gets it easy and we have to carry all the weight. It's because they're their family. Once you create that, that's when the resentment builds and there's really no going back once you get there. And so just 
be aware is all that I'm saying. Because when you're not is when problems happen. And so I've actually employed both of my brothers at different points in time. And I learned a lot employing my first brother because I made a lot of mistakes there, as did he. And I did show favoritism. There were tasks that he didn't complete on time and it interfered with other people's positions. And they would be scared to ask me because it was my brother. And so they'd be like, okay, well, whenever it comes, it comes, which is a terrible way of working. And and I did that. And that wasn't fair to them. And my brother was awesome. But then there came a point where he was done with working for me. So he mentally peaced out and essentially left me with a lot of work that wasn't completed. And, you know, that's common a lot of times for individuals to kind of burn out on a job and phase out. While I wish he could have been a little more upfront with me, I understand because he also was extremely young at the time in his early 20s. And so it just was a little messy at a time that I was so busy opening my new location that I didn't have the time to dedicate what was needed to manage him properly. And I had made the mistake of not having someone manage him when I should have. So in turn, it left us in a position that a lot of IT work that I needed completed wasn't. And Bridget, I'm really sorry you never got the iPad that you were supposed to have with the special program set up. I still am sorry for that. But those things happen. And so while I found out that he was leaving my company during Christmas break, oh, you know, the best time to find out. It definitely caused some strain in the family, but was only for a short period. We reconciled, moved on, and it was great. Then I hired my other brother, and I learned a lot there with my first that I implemented with him, and we had a really smooth working relationship for several years until I closed my company, and he actually lives with me now in Aspen. And so I believe that we had that successful relationship because I had someone else manage him. He reported to someone else. I did not micromanage him. And he was just there holding the position that he was qualified to hold. And that was it. And everyone knew that he was my brother, but no level of favoritism was shown on the floor. So it worked really, really well. So next we're going to talk about friends as your clients. Because I think this is something that we make a big mistake in the beginning because our friends are so supportive of what we're doing. And they're saying, yes, you know, you need to open a business. Like this is the best I've ever seen, or you're so good at this. And while their motivation is amazing and and you need that, what happens is you start to get a little distorted in creating the company because you think that they're going to be your clients when they're not going to be your clients. Just count them out. While yes, they might come and shop your store occasionally or buy a pair of something that you're selling or a cupcake out of your bakery, but they're probably going to ask for a discount, which you're going to feel like you have to give them and you don't. Don't count on them to essentially support your business. And I think this is a mistake we all make because you think they're your friends. So why wouldn't they support you? Well, 
The truth is that they rather support the big box shop. That's just the truth, you guys. They don't know how to support you in the right way a lot of times. And then you are upset and disappointed and the friendship starts to get strained. And really, there's no reason to go there. If you just don't depend on them to support you in that way, you'll never be disappointed. And if you have some shining stars that come through and they do support you in that way, take note, those are ride or die friends and those are the ones you hang on to hard. But if they don't, that's okay too. Because what you have to remember is that everyone has a lot going on and everyone's lives are extremely busy And a lot of times people are going through some really heavy shit. And so don't be disappointed in that way. Let them disappoint you in other ways to make the decision that you don't want to be their friend. But just because they don't use your service or buy your product doesn't mean that they don't love you. And so with that, what you want to do is, this is our next exercise. So. This is one of the most important elements of a business plan as well, I believe. And this is carving out not your niche because we've already established our niche. We are now establishing who's going to be our client within that niche. What do they look like? How old are they? Where do they live? What kind of education do they have? We need to figure out who is that person. And that person is not your mom. It's not your best friend. They might be inspiration behind this client, but most likely it's not them. And this is going to create some time and some deep thought. And if you have sales and analytics, that's where you want to use all of these. And they're going to really come into play in helping you establish this. But if you don't and you're just starting out and you literally have nothing to work off of, you need to get yourself in a clear headspace and sit down when you have a couple hours and really think about this. Because if you don't come up with a clear scope of who your target market is, you are literally throwing spaghetti at the wall, waiting for something to stick and then jumping at that, which is the worst approach you can have. This is about strategy and being smart because this is about spending dollars for marketing, your messaging, what your business is essentially going to convey as who they are and who they are trying to bring in. And if you go out there blind, you're going to come back with a few berries and maybe a twig, and it ain't going to be good. And so you need to spend some time here in really thinking. And so open yourself up a Word doc or an Excel doc, both work, because we're going to start plugging in pieces of information. And so if you go to my blog, glitterandbubbles.com, for each episode, I create notes. And all of this will be in the notes. So if you're driving right now, you don't have to freak out and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget all of this. It's okay. You can go to the blog, 
print all this out in a pretty little formatted version, you'll be good to go. Because I'm about to start rattling off a bunch of information here, and I know it's impossible to write all this down. So here we go. First thing in your target market are your demographics. And so your demographics are things like age, location, income level, education, marital status. Do they have children? What do they do for a living? How much do they make? These are all of your demographics. So what you're going to do here is type out each demographic and then fill it in. This can be pulled from your analytics. So let's say you um, currently have a business on Shopify and you have Google Analytics to pull through your website. You want to pull all those demographics out and compile them together here. And you'll be able to see who is your current client. Now, who is your current client? might not be who you want to be your client. So this might also be eye-opening to you that you could be missing the mark here and missing opportunity within some of these demographics. And so it's important to compile that. And if you're looking at this saying, wow, my client is 10 years older than I thought, maybe the way that your messaging is coming across is targeted towards that older client. So what these demographics will allow you to do if you have them to pull from a current business that you're operating, is really get an idea of who that person is and if you want to retarget. Now, if you don't have any demographics to pull, that's no problem. What you want to do is fill in who you would like them to be. Who do you think this will resonate with? This does not mean it will be this at the end. It's just that if you close your eyes, and you see that client consuming or using your product. Who is that? And you need to be honest with yourself here. Don't make it some aspirational, I like my client to be T-Swift, and like, no, that's not what this is. This is, I like my client. The client I see using this product is between 25 and 40. You know, they live on the West Coast, predominantly female. They have an income level of $60,000 to $90,000 a year. Their education level is bachelor's degree. They are single. They'd like to have kids maybe in a decade. And their occupation is in a profession that's creative, such as marketing, content creation, or advertising. Those types of things. So you can start to visualize who you're targeting with this product. Then we're going to go into your psychographics. And these are things like personality, attitude, their values, their lifestyle, their behavior. These are very, very important because these are things that make up your client's life and values in particular. So if you're a business that's based on a give back, What type of values does your client have when they're making a retail purchase? Is that based in their decision that they only like to purchase a product that gives back, such as maybe like a Tom's, you know, buy a pair, get a pair? These are the things that you want to think through deeply because then what you're going to do is you're going to combine your demographics and your psychographics and you're going to figure out, first off, 
are there enough people in this criteria to support a business? And will this target benefit from this product or business that I'm offering? Am I filling a niche for this group? What drives them to make decisions? Will they be able to afford this product? With the income level that they're in, will they be able to afford a $12 smoothie, let's say? These are all the things that you really want to start asking yourself and assessing. And then how will you reach them? So with your messaging and your advertising, how do you get to these people? Is it direct marketing? Is it advertising through social media? Is it through influencers? Is it having a physical location? Pop-ups? How do you get to them? How do you get in front of them? And what this will do is this will start to form your plan of operation in what is best for your business. Because every business is different and no plan is the same. And so when you start to really carve out these hard details, this will start to answer other questions for you that maybe you just have no idea. And so this is also so important. If you're going to spend $1 of advertising online, which you're going to spend a lot of dollars, no matter what business you're starting doing direct advertising online, you have to know these things. Because if you don't, you're just wasting your money. And so you want to create these micro niche target markets that you can go after. And so you could also have more than one client that you're going after. You know, maybe you sell sweats and you market them in one way to your younger demo that resonates with them, but they wear and fit so well for a woman up into her 60s. And so then you've got your other micro target and you target them completely different with your product. Thinking in that way. And while yes, I'm sure a lot of this, you're like, what the hell? This is so confusing. I thought we were talking about friends, girl. Friends. What happened to friends? We are talking about friends. And my point is that don't depend on friends to support your business. That is not fair to them, and that is not the reality. So what you need to do is you got to figure your shit out, my friends, and that is who is your target market and client, and it's so, so important. What's also important here is to remember that at no point when you're creating this target market is it about exclusion. This is not about excluding people. This is about bringing people in that will impact your business. And this group will allow you to do so. And so don't think that, oh, I want to exclude these people. And that's not what this exercise is. This is what do they look like? Who are they? So do this exercise. It will start to answer so many things for you. I promise. All right, friends. With that said, we have wrapped it up. I'm sure I've given you a lot to think about and don't worry because we have seven more episodes in this series. So by the time we get to the end, I am confident that you will have a solid foundation to make the decision if you want to start your business, how you'd like to change your existing business, 
and just feel more equipped to take on what life is going to throw your way. So with that said, keep it unfiltered. Thank you so much, my friends. Until next week. And feel free to always reach out to me. You can find me online at Corey McFadden, my blog, glitterandbubbles.com, or email me at hello at weallhaveonepodcast.com. And as always, thank you to Dante32 for producing this episode and making me sound like I'm not in my closet. Thanks, guys. I know you hate to see me coming, but love to see me leave. I know why you never walk in front of me. You trying to check me out, check me out, check me out. Go ahead and check me out, check me out, check me out. Yo.